This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon, everyone. A few years ago, I would imagine most people would have heard of Nazareth, even if they weren't quite sure where to place it on a map. But today, I suspect that may not be the case. And for the majority of people in Britain, I think knowledge about the contents of the Bible and the basics uh, of the Christian faith has reached rock bottom. If you watch a programme like University Challenge, for example, you might be quite impressed by the general knowledge of our university students. And yet, simple questions about the Bible usually defeat them. Now, if you feel that I'm exaggerating somewhat, let me tell you about something that happened a few years ago. It was approaching Christmas, and one evening our doorbell rang. I went to the door, and there I saw three young men standing in front of me. I would imagine they were probably in their mid-teens. They broke into a chorus of, We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and then promptly put their hands out. I said, I'm sorry, but I haven't actually heard any carols. We don't know any, they said. So then I pointed out that it wasn't really quite logical to come carol singing if you didn't know any carols. And they just looked at me you know, with a vacant face. So I said, well, look, I'll offer you a challenge. I'll ask you a simple question, and if you can answer it, then I'll give you some money. And the simple question was, whose birthday does Christmas celebrate? And they didn't know. Now, strictly speaking, of course, Christmas wasn't the season when Jesus was born, but that isn't the point, is it? The point is that the majority of people who do know a little about Christianity assume that it was at Christmas. Actually, in reality, it was that was the time when he actually was conceived, and we can demonstrate that uh, quite readily from Bible facts. But you see, it's really a problem, isn't it? Because if in a Christian country that celebrates Christmas and it really has become more of a commercial thing than a religious thing, it's very odd that our education system is such that young people don't have even the basic knowledge of the national religion, official national religion as it were. I mean, it's part of their heritage, if nothing else. Well, the situation was improved about a year or so later when a single carol singer who didn't know any carols came to the door, and he got it right, so I gave him something. All is not lost, but it's a very serious situation, isn't it, when you think that that is the level of knowledge of, of people growing up now. Well, you may be wondering why I started with that story. The point really being is that, in fact, it's not a new problem. Ignorance of God's ways has been the, all the way along, in some respects, almost from the very beginning. And I, I'll able, I'm hoping to be able to demonstrate to you that... Uh, uh, the problem was the same in the days of the one who became known as Jesus of Nazareth. Now in his day, Jesus was really just a large village. And the strongly religious Jews in Israel at that time, especially those living in Judea and around the capital, regarded it as a very undesirable place. 
It's not a very nice place in its own right as far as they were concerned. But the particular problem was it was in an area called Galilee of the Gentiles. In other words, the heathen as far as the Jews were concerned. And when Nathaniel, someone who was later to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus, heard from his friend Philip that um, he'd who had just been recruited as, as a disciple of Jesus, he had him say they'd found the one whom the Jews had been expecting for something like 1,500 years, in other words, their Christ or Messiah. John's Gospel record in chapter 1, verse 45 says, We found him whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response was, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That summed up the views of the people in those days, that Nazareth really was not a place from which most people would want to admit they came. And this is a particularly strong indictment because Nathaniel also lived in Galilee. He came from Bethsaida, a fishing village which was also the home of two other disciples of Jesus, Andrew and Peter. And that was located in the despised Galilee, of course, on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. So if someone in Galilee thought that Nazareth was a dreadful place to come from, it obviously was somewhere that you didn't normally admit you originated from. But Philip's answer was something that I want to stress because it's very important, it's almost central to what we're going to talk about this afternoon. He answered with words which are applicable to anybody today who's shown no interest in Jesus of Nazareth. Come and see. He didn't try to defend his point, he just said, come and see for yourself. And when you've seen, you realise I was right. And I suppose that's important today. People should not make snap judgments, but inform judgments about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And I think it's probably fair to say that had it not been that Jesus was brought up there, it would probably have been totally forgotten as a place. Its main distinction I think in history is simply that it was used to distinguish a man who shared a name with many other Jews at that time, Jesus. He was Jesus of Nazareth. So where was it and what was it like? Well, you probably know that Israel um, has two large bodies of water down the centre. There's a Sea of Galilee in the north, the Jordan River then runs south, and then it goes into the Dead Sea. And Nazareth is located on the same latitude as the south end of the Sea of Galilee, halfway between that point and the Mediterranean shore. It actually was quite high up. It was on a, a, a high plateau. It was in one of the valleys there, and it was about 300 metres, which in the old money is 984 feet, almost 1,000 feet above sea level. And the surrounding hills went up even higher. They were up to 500 metres. That's about 1,640 feet. So it's quite high up. And there was a steep drop uh, on one side of the uh, town of Nazareth. And of course uh, it was from that that the Jews at one stage intended to throw Jesus down. They wanted to kill him because they felt he'd blasphemed. Simply because he read a passage from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament and explained in the synagogue at Nazareth where he was brought up that actually it was talking about him it was a prophecy of himself they couldn't believe that the local carpenter as they called him could be the Messiah, the Christ how wrong they were 
And something of a miracle occurred because they didn't finally throw him down. He just simply turned and walked back through the crowd. And perhaps because it was his bearing or the fact that he wasn't frightened of them, because he knew his time was not yet, that he managed to pass through the crowd and escape. Nazareth had another city nearby, only four miles away, and it was the town of Sepphoris, which was almost even worse in the eyes of Jews because there Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, had built a city, transformed a small town into a, a very good Roman city. Uh, as the Jewish historian Josephus explains, it was the ornament of all Galilee and it was the strongest city in Galilee. He, he had strong walls built, he had a palace there, he had a theatre, there were markets and so on. And he built it using the local craftsmen from the villages in Galilee. And it's not impossible that Joseph and later the Lord Jesus himself might have worked on some of the buildings there. And Sepphoris, as I say, had all the attractions of a Roman city and all the problems. The theatre was reasonably large, it, 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 it seated 3,000, there was a palace for Herod himself and as I say a number of markets. But very few Pharisees lived there. See, they were the very strict Jews, the Sadducees who were quite happy to live with uh, Romans they enjoyed some benefits from that they liked Roman culture they were prepared to live in Sepphoris but not the strict Jewish Pharisees and it seems to me that all this suggests that most devout Jews were very uncomfortable both with um, the town its surroundings and Galilee in general so Nazareth was not uh, high up on the list of desirable places where a Jew would want to live but not only was Jesus brought up in a village at that time, but later a town, and a district that were looked down upon by most devout Jews, his origins were associated with a scandal. That's why I asked, I asked for the passage uh, to be read uh, re regarding um, uh, Mary and Elizabeth and so on. I'll explain in a moment. You see, while his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph... It was found that she was expecting a baby and it was not Joseph's. Joseph's first reaction was of course to divorce her. He was going to do it privately, quietly. I mean at least he, he, he had some respect for her. In fact I, th I think he really couldn't understand what was going on. Mary wasn't that kind of girl. But the facts were there. She was pregnant and it wasn't his baby. But when he'd been informed in a dream by an angel that what had happened was that Mary had been overtaken by the Holy Spirit and the baby that was conceived there was conceived by the power of God he accepted Mary as his wife and was willing to be a foster father to the Lord Jesus in a parallel situation Mary was informed by the angel Gabriel that she would indeed become pregnant and bear a son by God's Holy Spirit and it seems to me this record is quite interesting this is why we read it because that also compounded the scandal the record in Luke's gospel chapter 1 I'll read it is as follows now in the sixth month that is of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy she, she was also expecting a baby but she was as it were six months ahead of Mary the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed that is engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary verse 28 reads and this is the point and he came in unto her and said hail thou art highly favoured the Lord is with thee 
Now he was sent to this place. And he came into the house. He came in unto her. It seems to me that this is implying that the angel didn't just simply materialize as, as he could have done in the corner of the room. He certainly caused some consternation to, to, to Mary, but the point was he came into the house. Now, what if it was like a former occasion when three men who ultimately t turned out to be angels of God came to visit Abraham? They looked like men. Anyone watching the scene would assume they were three men. Was that the case with Gabriel? Did he walk up the street in Nazareth, knock on the door, go in, stay there for some time while he explained what was going to happen to Mary through the power of God, and then leave? What would the neighbours think when a little while later Mary was pregnant and she wasn't married? So Jesus not only grew up in a despised town where no one really wanted to live who was a pious Jew, but there was a scandal about his birth. And if you think that was kept locally, it wasn't. Because some 30 or more years later, when he was in Jerusalem, some 70 miles away from where he was brought up, his enemies used this against him. In fact, we have actually a, a record in John's Gospel of the things they were saying at that time which obviously were triggered by this scandal that occurred in Nazareth as far as most people were concerned that Jesus was actually an illegitimate boy. So in John's Gospel chapter 8 verse 33 when they were discussing with Jesus they answered him says the record we are Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants implying that he was not. They were saying, in fact, we're purely Jewish. We, we can trace our ancestry back to Abraham. We're not sure where yours would go. And then a few verses later, in verse 41, they more poignantly continued. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. They really came out with it then, didn't they? We are not born of fornication, but we believe you were. We have one father, they said, even God. What an irony. Only the Lord Jesus could claim this. They were claiming that God was their father and that he, well, who, whoever his father was, he wasn't legitimate. And yet the Son of God was standing in front of them who alone could claim that God was his father. They rubbed it in a bit later in verse 48 of the same chapter. Jesus answered and said to him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan. Well, the Samaritan were a, a sort of mongrel race as far as the Jews were concerned. They weren't purely Jewish. They had some Jewish beliefs and maybe some Jewish blood in their veins. But they weren't pure Jews as far as the Jews were concerned. And you're one of those. You know, you're a mongrel. We don't really know your ancestry. And not only that, you're out of your mind. You have a demon, they said. And it's part of tradition that they went even further. They made out that... Jesus' father was actually a Roman soldier which would really make the lie more powerful and stronger and turn people against Jesus. The other lie that they perpetrated was that he was born in Galilee. That's why they call him Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he came from, they thought. And yet, there are other people who were impressed with Jesus' teaching and his miracles. And they had a problem. They kept saying, well... He must be the Messiah. Who else could do miracles like this? So spectacularly, we've never seen anything like that before. But his enemies kept stressing, oh no, he comes from Galilee. And it couldn't possibly therefore be Messiah. 
In John's Gospel again, chapter 7, we have an account of one of the leaders. In fact, he was called the teacher of Israel, one of the most important and powerful men in Israel at that time. Uh, a very senior member of the Jewish council. And he, he, he was defending Jesus. He'd worked out that no other man could do the things that Jesus could do. And therefore, he must be from God. And so he defended Jesus uh, when the council were trying to, to make out that it was time that Jesus was arrested and put to death. And they answered, and the council said, Art thou also of Galilee? You know, you're one of them then, are you? Which, of course, he wasn't. And then he says, Search and see that out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Well, actually, there was a prophet who came there in the Old Testament times, but I think what they were saying was, Look, there's no prophecy in Scripture that says the Messiah, the Christ, would come from Nazareth, that he would be born in Galilee. So he can't be the true Messiah. You see, it not only shows their contempt for Galilee and Jesus' uh, hometown of, of, of Nazareth, but they're making a point that as they believed Jesus had been born there, he couldn't be the Messiah. It shows that they were ignorant of the truth. I wonder if they tried to check it. You see, at that time, every birth would be recorded in the temple records in Jerusalem. That's one of the things about the Jews, they can trace their ancestry back a long time because the records were kept. And there would be a record there that a man called Joseph and his wife called Mary recorded the birth of a boy called Jesus in Bethlehem. That's where he was born. I suspect that if they did check, they kept it quiet and suppressed it because it wasn't very convenient for them. So maybe they were deliberately suppressing the truth in order to dis discredit Jesus. Now, all this to me emphasizes a very important aspect of the character and life of the Lord Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. He was the Son of God. And yet he was content to be known as Jesus of Nazareth and live with the alleged scandals and consequent insults about his apparent illegitimate birth. He was prepared up to a point to allow those who despised him and, uh, and so on and, and perpetuated the greatest of falsehoods about him. And in a way they were enemies of their own selves weren't they because by doing this they were denying themselves the greatest blessing that anyone could ever receive and people who have no time for Jesus today are in the same category the truth is that Jesus was the son of God and believing in him was the first step to gaining the blessing of eternal life now the Bible makes it quite plain in the New Testament that Jesus was not born in Nazareth but in Bethlehem and we have that in Matthew's Gospel in the second chapter and in Luke's Gospel in the second chapter which makes it easy for us to remember where they are. Now if Jesus had been known as Jesus of Bethlehem everything might have been different. Because that was where everyone expected the Messiah to be born. But Jesus was content to be called Jesus of Nazareth. His foster father and his mother lived in Nazareth but the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem was that Caesar Augustus at that time wanted to enroll the Jews for taxation. And in order to register they had to go back to the city where their family originated. And Luke explains this in his gospel 
in words which must be familiar to anyone who has listened to the service of carols from King's College Chapel in Cambridge. And it reads as follows. And all went to enrol themselves, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to enrol himself with Mary, who was betrothed to him, being great with child. And it came to pass, while they were there, the days were fulfilled that she should be delivered. Of course, in reality, it wasn't Caesar doing this at all might look like that to all the people at the time but actually in reality it wasn't Caesar but the Lord God who ensured that his son would be born in Bethlehem see when the wise men came from the east to see the one born king of the Jews having seen astronomical portents in their own land in the east they naturally went to Jerusalem that was where King Herod was and they assumed a prince had been born there and that was the natural place to go but in fact God's word had decreed through the prophet Micah some 700 years before that the Christ the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and Micah chapter 5 verse 2 reads but thou Bethlehem Ephrata which art little among the thousands of Judah out of thee shall come one forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old from everlasting so 700 years before Micah was saying in effect this is all part of God's purpose it was determined by God from the very first that his son would be born in David's city Bethlehem now of course by the time the wise men arrived in Jerusalem the family had in fact returned to Nazareth and we were told by Luke that once they'd presented Jesus and performed all the various rites that were necessary in the temple and no doubt recorded his birth and so on they went back to their hometown of Nazareth. So the wise men obviously were perplexed. They'd gone to Jerusalem and the king wasn't there. Now the wise men were then told by Herod's uh, counsellors and, and, and knowledgeable people that Bethlehem was the place where Messiah was born so they better go to Bethlehem. But they didn't. Because God intended that Herod should not know where Jesus was. Instead, they were guided by means of a star. This was almost certainly God's glory because I don't know whether you've noticed, but when you move along and you watch a star, it moves, but, but it doesn't necessarily enable you to point out an exact house, whereas this particular bright light, which we, I believe was the Shekinah glory of God, led them towards Nazareth. And this was divine protection because Herod would have his spies, his secret police, and they suddenly realized the wise men didn't go to Bethlehem. But just to make sure, Herod, who was an incredibly cruel man, had all the children in Bethlehem who were two years old and under butchered. I've often wondered what the local people in Nazareth meant, made of the arrival of the wise men there. You know, they must have thought there was something strange about this family. First of all, there were all these problems about Jesus' birth and so on. That he was an incredibly bright, intelligent young man. Right from the beginning, he was able to go up to Jerusalem with his parents and talk with the professors in the university there. So, what did they make of a retinue of camels and soldiers arriving at the house where Jesus was being brought up? A toddler about two years old. You know, 
if they had curtains in those days they'd be moving wouldn't they I mean there must have been more than three wise men on their own I know the Christmas card has three wise men on three camels and so on but you know when you're carrying a large amount of gold frankincense and myrrh in a camel train you had a guard so there'd be soldiers and all these eastern potentates perhaps and they turn up at number three West Street Nazareth what would they make of that no doubt as Jesus grew up these memories would be there wouldn't they he was a toddler that's exactly what the Greek text says about the wise men offering their gifts and worship to a toddler in Greek and that fits nicely doesn't it with the idea that Herod was concerned that children the child who, who was a likely enemy would be two years old or under and then it seems to me that the wise men as the record says didn't go back to Jerusalem and say we found him they were guided by God to go back to their own country another way and it may well be that those religious leaders who had explained uh, the chief priests and scribes that is who explained to Herod that the prophet Micah had foretold the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem actually did go and check the temple records about the right time you know two years ago and see where he was and maybe they worked out he was in Bethlehem and that was still under the control of Herod at that time so Matthew tells us that God saved his son again the wise men returned home to the east from Nazareth and Matthew tells us now when they were departed behold an angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream saying arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and be thou there until I tell thee for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him it's not recorded that there was a massacre in Nazareth but it's not impossible and so Joseph arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and they stayed in Egypt until Herod died and then the record says they went back to their home in Nazareth because Herod Archelaus was now ruling in Judea but not control over Jesus area and he was just as bad as his father now while we're in Matthew's gospel we, we have a puzzle to deal with at the end of uh, chapter 2 where the record says in verse 23 Joseph came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken through the prophets that he Jesus should be called a Nazarene now you might think oh well you know that was a normal thing people from Nazareth were called Nazarenes but they weren't we have a word in the Bible which is Nazarite and we met that a bit earlier someone who was you know, sorry someone who was um, devoted to God's service by being dedicated to him and having to fulfill certain vows and, and, and behaviour and so on but Nazarene seems to be derived from the place Nazareth but I'm afraid it doesn't but it did come to be known as the name for the followers of Jesus and somehow perhaps Nazareth became a nickname for those who followed Jesus of Nazareth it wasn't that people called Nazarenes lived there but they perhaps took his name and changed it, it Jesus the Nazarene and so when the apostle Paul of course who was one of Jesus' uh, important apostles was on trial the, uh, the prosecuting counsel said that this man was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes so 
they weren't called Christians in, in, in every part of the empire, Roman Empire. Apparently they, they were known as Nazarenes because they followed this man from Nazareth. And so I think the suggestion that it was a kind of nickname is the, probably the best uh, answer. But there's a lovely link to a prophecy where uh, Jesus is called in, in several places in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zacharias prophecies. He's, he, the, the Messiah is called the branch. See, one lovely idea was that the stump of David, the household of David, actually came to an end as far as kingship was concerned. And the prophet sees a shoot growing out of the roots, a new start, as it were, and that is the branch, the Messiah, the Christ. And Nazareth could be rendered in English branch town. And therefore, in a way, it was an appropriate place for the man who was to be the branch, the new living shoot of the house of David, to be brought up. So again, that's just a little aside, but it t tells us a little about the way in which uh, the people at that time uh, looked at the word Nazareth. Well, what can we conclude now from our consideration then of the city or town of Nazareth? I think in many ways we can say at first that it was appropriate that the Son of God should be content to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. In many ways, although he was the Son of God, he was a very humble man. And although it even effectively disguised his true identity as the Messiah, given his humility in spite of his divine origin, it's sort of appropriate and typical of him to be quite content to be called Jesus from that despised Nazareth. It meant, of course, that his contemporaries particularly his adversaries used it against him claiming that because he'd been born in Nazareth as they thought not having checked this he couldn't be the Messiah and in some ways that was a blessing a hidden blessing because it meant people really had to check and look at the evidence and there were those who were wise enough to say he must be the Messiah because no one could do the miracles and speak the way he does and maybe they did take the trouble to check and found he had come from Bethlehem and that would reinforce their faith in him some of the people living in the town of Nazareth would be aware of his unique origins there was something strange about where he came from and what he was like and maybe they realised that this was in fact God's purpose and there would be no scandal regarding his birth as far as they were concerned and it may well be that that's why so many of his disciples came from Galilee they knew better but his enemies were determined that the rumours against him should be used whether they were true or not it suited them but as I've said the truth could have been quite readily established if people made inquiries about his origins and checked with the temple records but maybe because Jesus didn't live up at first to their expectations of what Messiah should do you see they were certain that when Messiah came he wouldn't have the Roman conquerors in the land he would destroy them immediately and he would establish the kingdom of Israel well he will, he will do that one day establishing the kingdom of Israel as the primary kingdom in the world but that wasn't part of God's program at the time and maybe they were disappointed and because they found that he didn't live up to their misplaced expectations and when his free meals and his miracles were no longer available on demand sadly they lost interest so bringing it all together I think we have some modern parallels here 
Sadly, people in Britain are becoming less and less interested in religion. They despise it, they criticize it. Mostly it's aimed at Christianity. There are religions in this country where people don't criticize because the consequences might be unpleasant. But you can do that to Christians because Christians believe if you're smitten on one cheek, you turn the other. You know, they don't retaliate, not true Christians. And so it's easy to criticize them. And people's ideas about true Christianity are very vague and most aren't really willing to make the effort to investigate what the truth is. And so in effect they've also decided that nothing good can come from Nazareth and so nothing worthwhile can come from Christianity. And it's very sad because consequently they are missing out on the most wonderful blessing God has given us. And just like those who rejected the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago and have suffered the consequences ever since, it's a serious mistake to underrate him and his faith. So don't make that mistake. Read for yourself the four gospel accounts and find out the real truth about the man from Nazareth. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Christadelphians.org.uk